Welcome to Houseplant Homebody. I'm your host, Holly, and I'm here to tell you all about my favorite thing, plants. You ready? Thanks for tuning in to episode 18. On October 13th, 2020, let's talk about the underrated and sometimes forgotten Diffenbachia. And this is just a reminder that you can find more on houseplant-homebody.com or follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or Pinterest at Houseplant Homebody LLC. And don't forget to join me on Patreon for exclusive podcasts, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. Let's dive in. So the Diffenbachia is a very underrated plant simply because there are so many different patterns and variegations and the actual varieties are very diverse out there. So in my blog post about this, I will be listing a bunch of them that I have found just working with them at different stores and online as well. A lot of people forget about Diffenbachia because they are commonly found. You can find that at almost every garden center, plant shop, or greenhouse that you go to, but they're very, very easy to take care of, and there's so many different patterns out there that it's fun to just kind of collect them all. So the common name for this plant is dumb cane, and I'll explain why a little bit later. And there are obviously many cultivars and varieties. Just to name a few, there's camo Camouflage, Compacta, Exotica, Green Magic, Tiki, Tropic Marianne, and a lot more. Most of the time, it's going to be a green leaf with a lot of either white speckling or white variegation to it. And depending on the variety, it's going to be minimal variegation or a lot of speckling and variegation. Let's dive into the sun requirements and the water requirements for this plant. So for sunlight, originally I thought simply because it had variegation and it was originally being grown in a bright greenhouse, I thought without looking it up that they needed bright sunlight. But I actually learned over time that the leaves were getting burned by the amount of sunlight I was putting it in. I had it in a window that faced southeast, mostly east, but it did have southern exposure too. And the tips of the leaves were burning. So I moved it away from the window and I cut back some of those leaves that weren't doing good and it's actually doing very well now. There's no browning leaves. It's producing new leaves just fine. The only weird thing about this plant is even though it's satisfied where it is, it's still going to stretch towards the brighter light. So one side of it that's against a wall doesn't have a ton of leaves, but the other side is really full. So if you want to twist it every few days just to get even growth, you can. Otherwise, if you're okay with it having most leaves in the front and none in the back, then that's fine too. That being said, I would put it in a medium to bright indirect light. Don't give it any direct sunlight. In regards to watering, this one is a little different simply because it does need a little bit more moisture than, to me, your normal houseplant. A lot of houseplants that I've had need to dry out completely before you water them again. There have only been a few that I have that actually need more moisture more frequently. So if you're not providing enough moisture for these, the leaves will start drooping a bit and the tips may start browning. And just to make this even more confusing, you don't want to overwater this plant. These plants tend to bounce back better if they're underwatered than overwatered. If you're wondering if you need to water it or not, I would wait a couple days and then do it just to make sure that you're giving it enough water but not drowning it. You could also buy a moisture meter reader if you're really concerned about it. On Amazon, they're anywhere from $8 to $15 depending on the one you get. There's a lot of them out there but really easy to find. I don't have one and I've been meaning to get one. I'm going to write it on a list right now, not joking that I need to get one. Okay, on my list. All right, so that was my pen, sorry. 
I typically water my Diffenbachia. I only have one of them and I got it from Steins actually in Milwaukee. Actually in Oak Creek. I don't know where the Steins is that I go to. Anyway, I typically water my Diffenbachia once a week during the growing season. It tends to soak up a little more moisture in the spring and summer into early fall growing season. But in the winter... I tend to back it up maybe every two to three weeks, depending on what the moisture is. I water it every two to three weeks. As I always say, take my watering instructions with a grain of salt because it really depends on the environment you have it in. So for example, here in Wisconsin, if you were to throw that Diffenbachia in a shady place outside, you'd probably end up watering it every day, every other day because it is so hot and humid. So in order to thrive, it needs to take in more moisture. Another thing to consider is that this plant likes to be in a little bit higher humidity, but it can adapt and survive, survive well in lower humidity. So to add humidity, you can mist your plants, and I would mist it every day, every other day since they like that higher humidity. You can place a humidifier nearby, or a lot of people recommend putting your plants over a tray of pebbles. You're probably wondering, well, why? Because once water or anything hits those pebbles, it automatically increases humidity. So those are things you can do. I personally like misting simply because it's very therapeutic and it's just super easy to help your plants thrive. And I'm not buying 10 humidifiers for my house. So I have little plant clusters all over the place. I probably have maybe about five or six like plant clusters. I only have one tiny humidifier. So it's going to go by the plants that need it most. So misting, I can just take the spray bottle and go everywhere. So that's what I would do. And that's what I would recommend. If you don't have time to mist your plant and you're very busy, don't worry about it because they can thrive in just about any environment. As long as you're giving it the correct water, you're good. All right, let's move on to talking about fertilizing and propagation. Okay, so for fertilization, I say this on every podcast basically, but there's really no wrong way to do it. But there are a couple ways that I would recommend or that I have seen in other resources. So for the first recommendation from the Complete Houseplant Survival Manual by Barbara Pleasant, by the way, is probably my favorite book I have. This says, and I quote, in spring and summer, high nitrogen foliage plant food or balanced plant food every two weeks and in fall and winter, feed month. So that is what they recommend. Feeding them year round is something to note because they do produce new foliage throughout the winter. I've had experience with that. So just keep that in mind. In the fall and winter, you're going to want to feed less often, obviously, as I said, feed monthly versus during the peak season, fertilize every two weeks. What I always did was I used a slow release fertilizer simply because it's a lot less maintenance and depending on the slow release fertilizer you get, you would only have to fertilize every few months you know, maybe four or five times a year for something like this. But lately I have been using a liquid houseplant fertilizer and I fertilize every four weeks when I water. I haven't been using it long enough to see if there's a big difference between the slow release fertilizer and that. So those are a few ways you can fertilize. There's really no wrong way of doing it. Just don't over fertilize your plant. Make sure you're using what's recommended on the bottle if you're using a houseplant specific fertilizer, especially with younger plants or cutting back a little bit. You don't want to over fertilize it. If anyone else has some different fertilization things that they use or products they use, please leave 
a message on my website, message me, or even leave a comment on the Diffenbachia blog post just to share other ways that people do it since there are so many different ways. If you've had success with it, we'd like to know too. So let us know. Okay, so propagation. There are actually a few different ways you can do this. So I thought this was kind of interesting. It's very similar to how you propagate Dracaena, not Sansevieria Dracaena. Sansevieria is now Dracaena, you know, but the original Dracaena plants. So what you can do is cut the top few inches of the plant off and put it in water or put it in soil. So when I say the first few inches, you want to make sure you're cutting off what looks like a tiny plant. You want to make sure you have enough leaves on it so it can sustain as an actual plant once it's put into soil or water to root. Capiche? All right. And then when you put it in water, you probably have to wait maybe a few weeks to a month, month and a half before you produce good looking roots to allow you to plant it or you can just plop it directly in soil. As long as you keep that soil evenly moist, you're good to go. Just make sure it's not sopping wet, but still evenly moist so that way it can produce those roots and it has enough moisture to give it the energy to produce the roots. Another way you can do it is sometimes Diffenbachia near the base of the plant will produce pups off of the stem. Most of the time, it's when the plant gets really leggy and there's not a lot going on up top that these are produced that I have at least noticed. More than likely, you're gonna propagate the first way I told you way out more often than this one, but I thought I would throw this way out there anyways. So these little pups are basically mini tiny versions of this plant grow off the lower part of the stems. You can cut them off and put them directly in soil and grow a new Diffenbachia from a little tiny, tiny one. So again, for that, just keep the soil evenly moist and eventually you'll have a brand new Diffenbachia. So that is the different ways to propagate. Again, if anyone has a different way that they've done it, let me know. I'd love to hear about it, but those are the ways that I've heard of and I've never tried it myself, but I've only had one Diffenbachia, so I want to wait till it gets a little bit larger and then I'll cut off the top and see if I can propagate it at some point. All right, let's go into the Diffenbachia's flowers along with the other facts that were missing from earlier in the podcast. So these tend to have a white flower that looks insanely close to what a peace flower looks like, just not so open. They're typically white. Sometimes they come in more of a white green and they're usually kind of hidden along the stem. So they're definitely not known for this flower and they don't appear very often, especially in a houseplant setting. If they're in the ideal condition and they're cared for correctly, it definitely could happen. My Diffenbachia actually did form a flower when it was closer to that southeastern window I was talking about. And since I only had it for a year, I haven't really experimented with it much to find out if it will flower now that it's moved away from the window. I'm also curious because I bought it in the summer and I wonder if it was already kind of producing the flower in early spring because it was grown in a greenhouse. So I wonder if it wasn't my condition, it was the greenhouse and it had already produced the flower, but it just happened to bloom when it was at my house. So who knows what the difference is, but if it does produce another flower, then I guess it means it's happy. Okay, so some of the other facts that weren't included before, this is part of the Araceae family and it's native to Central and South African rainforests. And these guys can get anywhere from one foot to five foot depending on the environments in and the cultivar that you have. Divenbachia are poisonous. 
And that is where they get their common name. As I said, I was going to talk about earlier. The common name is dumb cane. And the dumb part is where the poisonous part comes in. The cane is just because when it does get big, it's grown into what almost looks like a bamboo shoot. A really, really sturdy structure. That's what the cane comes from. But the dumb part, it's not the nicest common name, but here we go. So it's poisonous. And the plant sap contains what's called calcium oxalate crystals that actually burn your mouth and throat and could potentially cause temporary paralysis on your vocal cords. I got that information specifically from a book called Houseplants, A Guide to Choosing and Caring for Indoor Plants by Lisa Aldred Steinkoff. But my other book that I like to read from, The Complete Houseplant Survival Manual by Barbara Pleasant also said the same thing. So that's why it's called Dumb Cane. Crazy, right? So just keep this out of the way of any children or pets because this can cause serious issues. Also, I would just for precautionary reasons when you're handling the plant, if you get any kind of sap on your hands, wash your hands after you handle it. So there's that. I personally haven't had any issues with it. My dog ignores all my plants, surprisingly. I don't know how I'm going to get another dog or have a child because they're going to be all over my house. But my dog doesn't mess with my plants. Sometimes he likes to run into them like they're a tent or something, but that's kind of it. And I know my niece is always attracted to plants. Maybe she's my spirit child. I don't really know. But just make sure you're keeping them out of reach because these are one of the more poisonous plants out there and that could have a more severe effect than some other ones. Okay, so earlier I talked about the leaves typically browning if it's in too much sunlight. It can be caused by underwatering as well, but I also want to reiterate that it can be caused by inconsistent watering. So if you know you don't have it in a ton of sunlight and it's not being burned and you're still getting brown tips on your plants, it means it's very inconsistent watering. Sometimes means it's underwatering, sometimes meaning it's overwatering, but there are a few ways to stay consistent with it. So one, I've said this before, but you can kind of learn the weight of the pot right after it's been watered versus when it needs to be watered. We use this trick all the time in the garden center simply because we had rows of hanging baskets and some needed a lot more moisture than others and some were more root bound than others. So we would just kind of pick them up by the bottom to see if they were light or not and that would determine whether or not they need to be watered. Another way to know is obviously, as I said before, the moisture meter reader that you can find on Amazon or probably just about anywhere but Amazon has a bunch of different ones anywhere from eight to fifteen dollars unless you want a really expensive one but honestly not worth it. Otherwise there is one more thing you could try which is a plant care app Bloomscape, which is a online plant retailer and they have some plant accessories and everything, created an app called Vera Plant Care Made Simple. And my friend Sierra actually introduced me to this because she uses it for her houseplants to track watering and everything like that. You can track obviously your watering, the fertilization schedule. You can even upload pictures as you go so you can keep track of the plant's growth. So I actually just downloaded it but I have like 130 plants, so I gotta log them all in there. It'll take me a while, but I like it because I can track my plant's growth, but if you're really worried about inconsistent watering, you can set reminders on the app and it will remind you when to water that plant so you keep it consistent. All right, and the last fact to definitely keep in mind is that this plant loses leaves frequently, so don't be afraid of it. If you're noticing the bottom part of the leaves are starting to yellow and drop off, that's natural. You can just cut those puppies back or if they're yellow enough, you can just pull them right off. No big deal. Now, if they're dropping before they're turning yellow and they're still green, that could be a sign that the plant is too cold. The Diffenbachia likes to be in 60 degrees or warmer, 
which is actually a little warmer than some of the other houseplants that I've had before. Typically, the other houseplants that I've cared for like to be in 50 degree or warmer. Either way, I'm not leaving them outside. But the Diffenbachia likes to be a little bit warmer because they're used to rainforests and a lot of humidity. So that's the kind of difference between if your leaves are dropping with yellow or if your leaves are just dropping. All of this will be in my blog too. So if you want to check back, just go to my blog post. It'll all be there for you. And that is the rest of my other facts. Thank you for listening to episode 18 of Houseplant Homebody, all about Divinbachia. And this is just a reminder that you can find more on houseplant-homebody.com or follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or Pinterest at Houseplant Homebody LLC. And don't forget to join me on Patreon for exclusive podcasts, early access to podcasts, and exclusive content. Your support means everything, and I can't wait to continue bringing you guys more and more plant bios and info. Don't forget to check back every other Tuesday for more podcasts. From one houseplant homebody to another, see you next time. Hello, everyone. Thought I'd stop here on the end again and kind of talk to you what's going on a little bit with houseplant homebody and in general so obviously it's fall now it's now october if you haven't brought your houseplants in if you're kind of in the midwest or where it gets a bit colder you probably should if it's dipping below 60 at night honestly that's when i would start bringing them in usually i'd say around 50 but for this podcast it's 60. clean your plants off when you bring them in make sure there's no recurring bugs or anything and if you want more information on all of that i do have a blog post out about how i control pests and a little bit more information on that also this is the time of year that caladium elephant ear alcacia calcacia all those guys canna lilies tend to start defoliating and getting ready to hibernate so some people like to take the caladium elephant ear alcacia calcacia bulbs canna lily bulbs out of the soil obviously you're welcome to do that store them in a dry place i have had decent success still leaving my canna lilies and elephant ears in the pots. I just cut back majorly on watering and they come back fine in spring. So all things to keep in mind. I am still working on getting all of the plant bio blog posts out so you will still slowly start seeing those come through. Also, I am still doing different unique blog posts as I go. The next one will actually be a propagation experiment I did with Inch Plant, also known as Wandering Dude, and Pothos. So stay tuned for that. That should be coming out in the next week or so. And if you have any other plants you want to hear about or questions at all about any plants or any care or tips or where I get things or where I found the best price pots or literally any question, just feel free to reach out to me on social media, DM me, or you can contact me through my website or even leave a comment on my blog post too. That works. I'll see it there. So thanks for listening and see you in a couple weeks to the new podcast.